Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. a new co-worker because i have a new job oh great okay yes yeah um they're non-binary which is really cool nice nice but have you ever met someone who's non-binary but their gender seems to be doc martens yeah i can see what you're talking yeah. about yeah 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 like you know they, they've just got They've just got their their outfits down, and I respect that. For sure. I respect that. Yeah. One thing that is new that I had not seen before is they've got the Doc Martens. They're kind of Mm. beat up, which is, you know, I know that's part of the look. Sure, sure. Um, You know, it's just, you know, it's just not my kind of boot, you know? But they have a thrift store sticker stuck to the front of the boot just to make it absolutely clear that they did not pay full price for those doc martens interesting they're really skipping ahead on that i mean that's really just innovative because you don't even have to waste small talk of somebody being like oh i like your doc martens where'd you get them and they're like oh man i thrifted these and i got them for 50 dollars." and it's like no no way they're just like they know so this just to me sounds like somebody that's really on the point and i kind of respect that yeah But it's also like, (laughs) it's one of those interesting types of like, it's such a like sprezzatura type of thing where it's like, this is such a, (laughs) like, you have to be so careful that, because it's also like one of those stickers that like, looks like it's curling up and is like going to fall off. And it's like, it's so interesting that in trying to look like you don't care, you care, you, you, you recognize you care so much about yeah it's the real bedhead look type deal it is it is but you know i i have i have respect for the aesthetic for sure yeah it's definitely a cool aesthetic and i i do wish i could pull it off at times i always wanted a pair Mm -hmm. of doc martens i think i had one they're my work boots now but they're not the black type they're like brown ones so you know Mm. not for me but that's okay Eh. Eh. yeah but yeah uh so as as far as when we think of certain people mm-hmm. and we think of clothing to associate them with, if I were to say horned helmets, mm. who would you think of? Well, I might be, uh, I might think of the Vikings in that regard due to the uh, Lego set that I had as a child that has to be 100% accurate, of course. Uh, um, but that would not actually necessarily be correct. And that's something we're going to talk about today on our exhibit of the Vikings, the Vikings, the Vikings here at the UCM, the Vikings. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you see, you know, we have everybody walking around in, um, some Viking accurate helmets. I really wish I would have had that as a kid because I probably would have bought a medieval helmet. It is real steel. You pay full price. <laughs> um, no swords, no weaponry, though. We're not going to, you know, 
Mm. Were they a sword or a, like, mace people? No maces, but swords, yes. Uh, we mm. will be getting into all kinds of weaponry, clothing, haircuts, uh, what they may have may not have looked like, all of that in this yes. episode, or in this tour, and as well as even the boats that we're so familiar with. Yeah, this, yeah, th this tour is kind of a, because we've made reference to Vikings before. Yeah. Uh, in other exhibits. So what, uh, th th this is really a cool opportunity for us to do a bigger dive into their history. Mm -hmm. Who exactly were they? You've done some phenomenal research that I oh, am excited you, you. to hear. Our audience is excited to hear. Um, yeah yeah, yeah. uh wh where where does it all begin well it has to begin somewhere just like any tale but uh, you yes. know in in prefacing before we jump into this mm -hmm. this extensive story that i feel like is really not as big <laughs> as i make it out to be because realistically it's only a couple um centuries not even i guess like mm. less than 300 or so but you know we'll be covering uh, the Vikings history as they are Vikings. So the raiding pirates that they were, where they went, where they've gone and where that history kind of entangles, because there's a lot of things that'll be talked about here, even getting into the point that they're not necessarily a cultural group, so to speak, or like an ethnic group is probably the better term. Right. Right? Um, right. But it, you know, so we won't be making too many men, too many focal points on the British history specifically of this. So the Viking wars or King Alfred's wars and things like that. If that's something mm -hmm. that interests you, as it does interest me, I highly recommend uh, giving Max Adams The Viking Wars a read. It's very good, and it's honestly one of the best nonfiction books I've read that is just, like, easy to read, you know, when you, like, mm. especially as we talked about with um, Hal Foster and me just judging that theory completely, this is pretty digestible. <laughs> uh, as well as The Last Kingdom on Netflix is very good. I like it a lot, uh, and it's also probably much more historically accurate than the show vikings which isn't bad it's just not great uh well doesn't the show vikings like actually have the gods in it uh, yeah kind of it's not <laughs> right we I, which you know what for all we know maybe that was the right religion and we I just mean, all missed out possible it's it's the show vikings <laughs> and maybe we'll have to get into it as we go or we'll just do it right now like it's it's okay. What I like about The Last Kingdom is, like, Uhtred of Bebenburg exists. We have writing about him. We have an image, kind of. You know, we, we know who he is. Yeah. Is he this, is he Alexander Draymond from the Netflix show? No, but, like, we don't know, yeah. so it doesn't matter. But the Ragnar Lothbrok isn't, like, we don't know if he's real. No, he's in the sagas. <laughs> and, and he's supposed to be, like, from Denmark or Sweden or North. Like, no one actually knows. So the show takes from history and i think it was competing with game of thrones so it had to make it more interesting than yeah, it is yeah yeah it, it totally had those vibes it yeah was history channel wanted to have a game of thrones and the first two seasons are really accurate they're really good like on, besides you know ragnar lothbrook like they're going to talk about a lot of the points that we make here so if you've seen the show you might go hey i know that i remember this and hey i do that and then you know, it, it, it was a little annoying when I started looking into it more and you're like, oh, mm -hmm. the show just started making stuff up or it was just taking characters right. and putting them where they needed to be for history's sake. But it's fiction and it was kind of, yeah. the director's pretty clear about it. Like I've looked up some mm -hmm. interviews and he's like, no, you know, we, we just want to make it entertaining. And it's like, okay, like I could see 
where you're coming yeah. from. But it also may be not very hopeful of like History Channel and looking at mm. their research for this. So I, well, I did not do history, that. History, it is, it has been, I think, at this point, over a decade of it, the yeah. History Channel being considered a reliable source. It, yeah, exactly. You know, it's the the History Channel is um, <laughs> huh, something. How do we put it? Yes, I mean. They realized ancient aliens was bankable. They realized, yeah. oh, we've got all this stock footage of Nazis. We might as well make a bunch of documentaries yeah, about it. Exactly. What I'm kind of curious about, as far as like what your take is with it, because I have kind of a a theory myself. To what do you attribute Vikings being so? popular Mm. nowadays not you know vikings as a show is very clearly in response to game of thrones as were a bunch of other um historical dramas super serious event tv that also kind of came out around the same time there there were a lot of those every network wanted to have a game of thrones because it was such a big deal exactly Um, but but what what do you think about vikings is so is so hot right now you know just like yeah it's i think it's because it's a period in medieval history that doesn't really follow christianity as much Mm. it is in that way kind of free and maybe it's that like maybe it's because we can kind of project our own like cultural perspective onto that since it's not attached to like let's like hardcore kind of christianity or older christianity that we would have associated at the time of the viking mm-hmm. age happening in europe um i also just think it's possible because there's just not a lot known about it and the sagas are really entertaining so there's partly mm. i think that of this history that's also been really misused and really abused to a certain degree um or a large degree in this way of like, you know, depicting Norse gods a certain way or depicting the Norse peoples a certain way. And, and what a Viking is, is associated with being a man. And, you know, I think that there's like a pop culture from mm-hmm. the past that want, people want to kind of re-envision and change and, and, and make different. I think then, but it also kind of gets a little excused. Like, you know, this is where we get into the Vikings had braids and locks and, and you know, whatever. But like... It's yeah. um I I think it really comes down to it's an interesting European group of people that don't feel European. They don't feel mm. like they fit that canon. There's an element of paganism and witchcraft that's very fascinating for certain people and I I think also there's just this element of like maybe freedom and innovation in a time that we always seem are always deemed to be more oppressive and more restrictive and like not as interesting. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe everybody has, right. maybe everybody likes medieval Europe, but I really think that, you know, when, when you're saying like because of game of Thrones or because of these other things, I think that's possible as a big factor. And yeah. you know, cause you're like, Oh, well, England's got all of that. And Frank here has all that at the time or France, you know, now, and I'm going to be slipping in and out of that all the time. Just heads up. And like, um, <laughs> oh, well, like the Norse people are interesting in this way because they were there. So like, let's just talk about Vikings and we have dragons and we have this. And it's all kind of this. Oh, we, wait, we have dragons? Well, in the mythology. Not, not, <laughs> there's a type of dragon we'll talk about, but it's an, ador- okay. it's an adornment. So uh-huh, I think uh-huh. it's a lot of that. Yeah. 
I think I'm there with you. I'm... I think there's certainly also an interesting feminist angle yes. to it as well. Yes. Uh, that, you know, comparatively, uh, I, I, I think now it is, it is very popular to look at what, mm-hmm. um, what, what, uh, freedoms, uh, women outside of Christianity had yeah. in societies, uh, in Europe. Yes. And yeah, I think the, the Vikings, the Celts, the Druids, um, j- various tribes across Europe. This is like almost mm-hmm. an innocent type of y- European history that people can sort of lay claim to. You know, if you've got any, if you've got any Irish or Scottish blood, or and you like want to say i'm so i can you know be proud of my heritage and look to uh you know right gaelic or i mean i guess if you're scottish the picts yeah um but that, that, that's going way back um, oh we'll get there don't worry it'll come yeah on. yeah <laughs> so but but that these are because i don't think i think alarm bells in our heads go off when someone says they're proud of being white yeah and, and it should <laughs> we yes yes and we've talked about this before that whiteness has little to no basis in anything historically or ethnically and right truly only is a basis for um othering an oppressed class within a society um yes it it is it is a it is more a class than than anything else it is mm-hmm. a it is a social construct that we feel the effects of every day exactly so when i think us as americans and i guess we can just speak since we are americans um when we want to make reference to our roots and we do not want to be aligned with um you know the slave trade or genocide or anything we kind of want to um we want to align ourselves with some group that was innocent of all of this maybe some yeah. group that they them they themselves were conquered eventually in some way right. uh, and you feel like you are less culpable um this is not to say that people should not feel pride for their heritage i feel like it's just worth pointing out that you know uh we both of these things can be true that the 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 irish were colonized but also the the irish are are capable of uh other types of bigotry like this is you know you're seeing it a little bit in the united states now where people are people from the south want an alignment with appalachian culture that that does not feel rooted in racism and more is rooted in working class uh immigrants right exactly yeah i i think um yeah, because, you know, that that makes a lot of sense, I think, put here, and it's a really good intro to what we'll be talking about, because I also think it's, like, worth pointing out, too, you know, like, it's kind of like you don't want to end up in the, in the you know, Ubisoft Assassin's Creed universe of, of Valhalla, which I play, and it's, it is good, but it's like, 
you do feel a little weird if you know the history of Viking raids, playing as Vikings, going on raids, and I'm like, and and in the game you do not kill innocent people, you will literally fail. But it's like that's kind of what they did, so it's a little weird. Mm. Like you you do go in and you raid, and maybe like they even state, and we can like precursor this a little bit, like they wouldn't have necessarily gone into villages just to murder all of the time. Some probably did. Some probably didn't, and we'll kind of get into why, but... Yeah, there, were, there weren't real... So you're telling me the Vikings didn't have a good system of checks and balances. Well, it's... I mean, not really, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but it's like, you know, they, they did what... You know, the rating... It was kind of for this whole raid and trade sake, which I'll cover... Raid and trade. Raid and trade. I've, I've been saying this in my head all trade. day because of, of, of preparing for this. But, like... You don't want to end up in the side of like, actually, they're totally innocent, and they, you know, they were like better than the Christians or better than this, because you're like, they did have slave, a really extensive slave trade. Now, is it as, is it? It's not chattel slavery. It is a completely different topic, but that's not to negate that slavery is good or bad, because it's clearly bad. Don't think I have yes. to say that any further. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> exactly. No, I. But it's like, you know it's it's kind of one of these weird things where like yeah they're super cool and it's super interesting and the history is kind of fascinating because we don't know much about them but you know there's Mm -hmm. there's gonna be takes like there's goods and there's bad things and i think all of that being said it's like you know at the end of the day they are pirates and they're gonna do what pirates do and it's like some of that's Mm kind of cool and go them and you know and some of it's uh not cool and it is real you know but like yes i'm a, i but but th- but that is that is what separates this from uh because people w- when we see people with like celtic knots and uh and runes they're either quirky interesting people maybe they're interested in crystals maybe they're interested in history or there's that you're you're waiting to like see if they have like a tattoo of like 88 you know yeah yeah so but the i think when we look at history this way and we have a fascination of history good and bad that is what separates you the person that is interested in their heritage uh, from someone that's interested in the the fake heritage of white supremacists who would conflate all of these cultures together, you know exactly, yeah, a a fascist's idea of a pan European uh, uh, mission of civilization, exactly. Where yeah. you know, Joe, if I can, I, I don't know if I pointed this out before, but you are Italian. Uh, uh, and, I am? and 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 Sardanian, your ancestors would have hated the Vikings just as much as they hated the Algerians. I mean, yeah, literally, yeah, because yes. they're both yes. seafaring raiding people that would have attacked said islands, and they did make yes. it that far to the Mediterranean. Yeah, you. so your your great 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 grandmother is just you know trying to make sea silk out of out of clams. Yeah, and then. Thorvenjangenjager is is like on the coast, like ready to fuck shit up, and they're like, "Oh my god, <laughs> what are they doing in these boats?" I mean, yes, kind of literally, yeah. That's that's how this, in a way, goes. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm, they do make it mm-hmm. to the Mediterranean, so who knows? And there is a he, there is somewhat of a Norman yes. 
uh, bloodline in Sicily that we'll eventually get to. But that's for a different. That's for the. That's for the. That's for middle story. But we're here at the Ooh. prologue, and I think okay. in kicking this off, but having a great, you know, that's a, for, that's for the midguard. That's for the. Oh, there you. Oh God, that's really yes. good. That's. Pat on the <laughs> pat on the back, Zan. Pat on the back all around. That was good. Thank you, thank um, you. But I think I think that was a good way of of precursing us into this because a lot of that has to be stated before we get into it, so we don't sound necessarily just like Viking enthusiasts or the or or that being misconstrued. Because I think we I am a Viking enthusiast. I don't want to get that misconstrued <laughs> with white supremacy or the people who legitimately believe they're a Viking because that would be incorrect. Mm. But Ooh. regardless. In kicking off our series here on the Vikings, I kind of wanted to explain rather quickly, like what they were. Who who are these people? Who are the Vikings? In a way, who are they? Who are they? Who are these guys? I see a I see a guy named Sven. I'm like, who are you? Yeah, I mean, I don't, but I guess. <laughs> 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 but simply put, the Vikings are essentially pirates from what is now modern day Scandinavia. So this would include Denmark, Norway, and Sweden, and we're not going to include. Finland, because they weren't really a part of this at that time. Norway and Sweden and Netherlands and Finland and Germany now on one piece. Italy, <laughs> Austria, Czechoslovakia, France, Turkey, and Greece, Poland, Romania, Scotland, Albania, China. <laughs> I forgot you had the whole thing memorized. Yes. Amazing. You know, I had I had a uh, an observation recently that I don't know if I can prove it. I don't know if the interview exists somewhere, but uh, you know how we've been getting lots of ads for In the Heights? Yeah. There's a snippet of a song that I forgot about from In the Heights because I had heard the soundtrack before uh, in high school um, where uh, an actress lists uh, her all of the uh, um, uh, components of her heritage. Oh. Uh, and she's like uh, Cuba, Caribbean, you know. Repu- rep- and I realized... Lin Manuel Miranda, I'm pretty sure stole that line oh. from the Animaniacs because, <sighs> oh, in the man. exact same order, in Yakko's uh, "Nations of the World" song, right. go ahead and listen to this because it is a delight. I it's love so the Animaniacs. Good. I love all of their songs, but uh, the beginning of the "Nations of the World" song. Yako goes, United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, Republic, Dominican, Cuba, Caribbean, Greenland, El Salvador, too, Puerto Rico, Colombia, Venezuela. And, and, you know, he's yeah, going, yeah. going and yet and yet and yes, I have most of the song memorized. Of course. Um, but the way she says it and the and the order of the countries, I say, is suspiciously close to the Animaniacs. I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda's <laughs> sus in general, but mm. that's a little too yeah. suspicious. I don't like that. I'm a little I'm curious. <laughs> now, I gotta, now I'm going to have to go scour through and see, because now I'm curious. Lin? You hearing it from us, Lin? Answer back. Anyway. She looks so helpless. <laughs> Oh, man. So, yeah, essentially these peoples are from the, you know, are now modern day Denmark, Norway and Sweden, and they made their living raiding and trading. That's going to be the kind of catchphrase, I think, for this tour or specifically this. That's such a vibe. You're making them sound like, you know, more like vibe kings. All right. Hi there. My name is Colby White, and I'm one of the hosts from Force Football Facts, a podcast where my friend Zachary and I force our other friend Tyrell to give us insights into the game even though he doesn't know anything about it. We use our humor to bring you weekly football news in a new way that takes fan opinions into account while also helping new fans understand why we love this game so much. 
You can check us out on our website, forcefootballfacts.com, or wherever podcasts are available. Hope to see you soon. I mean, the Swedish were kind of vibe kings for sure, but we'll talk about it a little later. Um, and so, you know, you'll probably hear me throughout this tour in our extended ones as we have them for the weeks, uh, mention Vikings and then Vikinger. And because, uh, you know, they're technically called Vikingers. And I will get into why in a little bit because it just fits better for my narrative. But if I flip in and out, Excuse me for it, but that's why. Uh, if you attended mm-hmm, the Vinland mm-hmm. tour, I think I we talked about that a little bit. So there's some context. Yeah, we there. talked about this a bit. We th- this is a this this is a real um, uh, Zan jumping on people for referring to uh, Tyrannodon yeah. as a dinosaur type e- of thing. Exactly, because in our a Dimetrodon yeah. as a dinosaur, a mammoth as a dinosaur. Right. Um, I just like to be technical. Yeah. We just like to be technical here. Or if you dare. Dare, dare say saber-toothed tiger. Are we not supposed to do that? They are saber-toothed cats. All right. They are not related to tigers. But tiger's cool, man. It's cool. <laughs> it's a saber-toothed cat. Uh, I don't want to hear it. Saber-toothed tiger, man. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm, it's okay. Some That's of actually, them, I didn't actually know Some that. of them aren't even cats. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. That's good. Now we're going to have to talk about that at some point. Because now I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so now uh-huh. in, in forming our timeline, this is all happening under um, the Viking Age, or what is called the Viking Age, which is roughly from 763 to 1066 CE. This is kind of the era established of the height and then eventually the fall of said Vikings. And these dates are tr- okay. These are, yeah, so these are truly the height of when this is really happening, when Viking activity is going on. It's possible it's earlier. We don't really know. Uh, but this is kind of going to happen a lot in this context of the Viking Age. There's stuff we know, there's stuff we don't, and we can all theorize and make hypotheses for what is or isn't possibly true just because of like not having things written down and a lot of history mm-hmm. coming just from the sagas. However, in this tour too, we will be relying on a lot of archaeological evidence and some other uh, information to kind of support a, a lot of what is said. Um, Mm -hmm. so, but interestingly enough, being a Viking isn't, it wasn't so much as an ethnic group, but rather a way of life, so to speak. So there were mercenary, they were mercenaries during wars or warriors from clans who would battle it out over different territories, as well as then raid monasteries and villages in most of their free time. So in our Mm. own popular culture, you know, I'm, I'm sure when I say like a Viking, you may think of an image of a huge burly man or a woman with a horned helmet and sword or axe, you know, these very stereotypical caricatures as we've talked about before, you know, like basically you're Thor from the Marvel cinematic universe, if you know who I'm talking about. Uh, But in reality, they more than likely would have looked a lot different than this. Um, And I mean, of course, like we've gotten to this point where a lot of that armor and artifacts were kind of more known but I think it's interesting in even getting into mm. hair and skin color, as we'll talk about now. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this, you know, this has been the more popular depiction of them from the last couple of decades. But a recent study actually just came out, um, I think maybe a year or two ago, called uh, Population Genomics of the Viking World, which it was published on Nature.com. And it has a whole paper you can go buy. But I know there's that whole thing about buying papers and whatever. Um, But it argues a different approach to this original idea of the kind of, you know, 
blonde hair, blue eyed, huge, tall, pale Viking, you know, that kind of image that I think we're all familiar with. And it's been, you know, co-opted a lot or created, so to speak. Geneticist Eske Willerslev, who was a part of this study, led a team of scientists that studied around 442 skeletons from Viking archaeological sites all across Scandinavia, the UK, Ireland, Greenland, Russia, and Iceland, just to kind of name a few of them. Uh, And so DNA sequencing of the remains of men, women, and children skeletons revealed that actually a a diverse amount of foreign DNA flowed through the Scandinavian area, which consisted of genetic information from the British Isles, Asia, and Southern Europe, which is rather fascinating because I think we tend to think of this being an isolated area, Scandinavia not being in contact. They did their own thing for a long time, but actually that's not entirely true from this information. So this is kind of challenging Mm -hmm. this idea of the... Uh, blonde hair and, and and pale white skin for like everybody because you know in fact they more than likely would have had more browner hair and some darker or tanner skin tones because of the southern european dna and even asian dna and distant ones so there's a lot of you know uh movement and circulation happening and then when it gets into the point of rating there's even more bloodlines and mixtures and and people's kind of adding to the gene pool because also you know in 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 true i guess viking fashion it's kind of like anybody can be a viking so you know hypothetically somebody from africa who ended up becoming friends with somebody who was trading could have you know been a viking that's very much possible right right but you know that that's the interesting thing to think about with a lot of the just how we think of pirates in yeah. general be, in the past, because, you know, it was a more official uh, job than just, you know, being a total outlaw, you know, like yeah, there was yeah. you, you could be hired to be a pirate. Yeah. Uh, um, and yeah. And, and that that armies were something you could just kind of higher well most cases they did yeah Yeah. and i mean like Mm -hmm. in this raiding and being a pirate was like part of it and part of it was to like actually set up trade and to kind of like uh what do you call that um extort people for money because that's kind of part you know that was like in in a way you know what was part of the job and i think like now would I, I I'm I, th- this is so interesting because I feel like you see this a lot in kind of the the Middle Ages, um, you know these these types of groups that yeah show up that originally like function as like some kind of military power, but then eventually just get into banking or something. Yeah, like, yeah. You, you could you could say this about uh, the Knights Templar that yes. you know. Yep. Uh, the Freemasons, uh, the you know, or and even to some extent the like the Druids, like the Druids were not necessarily were less an ethnic group and more a cultural group, right, much, right, right, kind of like the Celts. And controversial opinion from me, but I almost consider. I want to be very careful how I say this. Uh-huh. Uh, I, that's almost how I think of. A lot of Jewish populations uh, post diaspora, mm. because you know, uh, while Jews maintained their culture and uh, and remain ethnically distinct in a lot of ways, Jews adopted the customs of a lot of the places they went, became involved in a society, and sort of existed uh, 
in in tandem with whatever society they were living amongst. Right. Uh, so, you know, me being Ashkenazi, I'm, you know, part of this cultural group and this ethnic group, but in a lot of senses because of because of proselytizing converts and intermarriage, I, you know, right. I'm blonde haired and blue eyed, you know? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, so I guess that, that, that's kind of the curious thing to, to hear about, to hear about that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because it's like, you know, there's all kinds of different things with the hierarchies at this time and, you know, other mentions of how people would be treated, like even like, taken in because it's not so much a bloodline thing that's not really common yeah. here yet that's yeah i, I mean it's gonna come up later but it's like past the point of what we're talking about you know like hypothetically anybody can be incorporated in and it was kind of I'm, I'm sure there's some forms of like discrimination and other things and probably yeah. a lot of that probably attached to being a warrior per se or like how much money you have mm-hmm, just like mm-hmm. everything but yeah. It was like it, it, it. What I think is fascinating about this new discovery, though, is it really challenges and and honestly brings a new light completely into what we would perceive said people to be like, and it kind of demystifies yeah. it a lot. And mm-hmm. you know, and it also just makes a lot of sense. Like I don't know why everybody would yeah. assume that's like everybody in these regions have to look a certain way or they have to be the certain type. I think it's a bit. But that, but that, that's kind of our consensus right now. Is that yeah. like people were from a certain place and they never moved, and then yep. one day, global the the globalist conspiracy, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, shook everything up. Rather than oh no, humanity has been moving around yeah. for as long as there has been humanity. Every yeah, time exactly. we get new dates, uh, it, it's always pushing everything back for how yes. how 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 soon humans got to a certain place one question i kind of have yeah. uh um is this this time period uh-huh. that they're kind of coming about this uh you know this uh a first uh th- th- this early middle ages is this in any part due to there being a power vacuum in Europe with there being, you um, know, no no Roman Empire holding southern Europe altogether. Um, is there is this in response to anything or is this happening kind of it, uh, apart from anything happening in the Mediterranean? You know, I think everything in general is connected, whether we notice mm-hmm. it or not. So I think regardless, it's all, all going to have a kind of effect from the fall not to not that this centers the roman empire because this goes way beyond it but i think that's a very big event of the collapse yes that does send shockwaves everywhere because you have like the Mm -hmm. goths coming in the visigoths or this anglo-saxon because like i'll talk about it a little later but even to give a precursor like there's in there's colonization and settlement and and kind of war in britain before the Vikings even get there or know what it is with the, because okay. the Anglo-Saxons are from Den, like below Jutland and Denmark kind of thing, or Denmark is Jutland. But yeah. you know, they're from like Germany or Northern Germany. And that's an, an ethnic group yeah. coming in and taking over an area and basically setting up kingdoms. So, and that's because of the fall of the Roman empire. So like, there's a lot of mm-hmm. kind of context happening in the, a lot of domino effects. Yeah. But not, yeah. Nothing totally direct, it's not, but you could, yeah, we don't really know. 
because like the first couple raids are recorded there could have been some beforehand but also like everybody kind of has their own motives it's mm-hmm. more than likely i think the itch of exploration as well as like we need money because people like they're a, they're a tra- <laughs> like you know the <laughs> rating is in, it, it, like i keep saying with rating and trading it's like that's kind of trading is really the main goal for most of these groups either the, you're the norse or yeah. you're, you know early norse or you're the early danish or swedish like that's kind of what you're doing and it's also hard to grow food as we've mentioned in the vinland tour so it's kind of like all of these things connected and this kind of like urge to then go west or southwest and see what's there and it just leads to a bunch of stuff so i don't know if there's one true motive or one true like ripple smoking gun yeah i think it's just a lot of stuff because also at this time it's based in clans so a lot of people are like acting on their own villages like thing you know there's no kingdoms yet and we'll get them but Mm -hmm. they just don't happen right away there's more like jarls and other things and you know like your thralls and your carls okay yeah, yeah, there are actually regular people are called. Oh. Car- yeah, regular people are. This is another fun fact, but you have your jarls or your like noble kings and like the higher ups. You have your thralls, which are like less than, so serve servants or slaves, most likely slaves. Mm-hmm. And then you have mm-hmm. your carls, who are your just regular carl, regular guy, literally. So, um, oh. yeah, that's a fun fact. So that's why, like, with within the in the Vinland sagas, like, or Vinland saga, the show, but also. Uh, what we were discussing with Vinland and that whole adventure, Thorfinn Carl Stephanie is because of Carl and his name. Like they don't actually know his last name necessarily, so they uh-huh. kind of it's like a title. See, I I knew someone uh, at uh, one of at, at uh, somewhere I went to school. There was a uh, a teacher named Carl Carlson. Yeah, Carl. And it yeah. sounded like such a fake name, but I'm so yeah, glad to <laughs> know because he because if nothing else, you would have to say excessively bland. <laughs> and uh, not just bland, just sort of like unremarkable smiling guy. Yeah. Uh, and you just have to think like, okay, so con- confirmed your yeah. name means literally. regular guy, regular guy. Some, yeah, literally. You know, you know, just like you are middle class kind of deal here um, or middle person. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to name my main character Avery man. There you go. That's good. He's an every man. A Saul Goodman, if you will, because it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it, yeah, so these are just some of those again random things that I that have kind of come up. But also, mm-hmm, it's just interesting. Mm-hmm. But regardless, you know, I think in in, in yeah. continuing though with this, I you know, so now we have like there's a challenge and an interesting and most more than likely probable and plausible explanation to what they would have looked like skin tone wise. So you have, you know, there is red hair is common. Blonde hair, okay. yeah, of course, but also a lot of people with brown hair, more than likely, as well as then different colored eyes of brown and blue and green, and, you know, so on. It's not there is genetic variation here, so yeah, okay, so they're they're not they're not all a bunch of inbred weirdos. No, they have... not necessary. No, not necessarily. Yeah. I mean that we know of okay. though, that we know of. But what the evidence is starting to find from these sites, because again, there's not much to really go off of. It's it doesn't seem that way at all. Um, Iceland's mm-hmm. a whole different mm-hmm. thing. But that's the different mm-hmm. different time. Okay, wow, you're call- you're calling Iceland a bunch of inbred weirdos. Well, no, but it is there is that statistic <laughs> that it's it is possible yeah. that you could be dating like your, your that, a that's, cousin. That's why they have to have that special dating app that tells you yeah. if you're related to somebody. Yeah, so it's not a, it's not a yeah. jab. It's more of an interesting yeah. thing that I just stuck in the back right, of my head right. for some reason. Yeah, but 
Anyway, so we know what they kind of look like, and we can kind of make our own character here, but what would they be wearing? And I don't know. Mm. We're, we are both, I think, people of fashion. You know, we're cowboy cosplayers. We like to go and see what we can wear and, and pull from history. And I think... Do you have anything in your wardrobe that you could possibly wear to blend in with Vikings? I would try my best. I have an oversized long sleeve okay. shirt, Henley, that it could probably work as a tunic with a belt around it and call it a day. Maybe I some guess, pants. You know, I guess Henley's... I mean, they... It's you what know they what? Are. Yeah, Hen- Henley's, you could say, you, you could... They're basically they would definitely make. They would be confused maybe seeing it be made out of cotton. Yeah, no cotton. Yeah, it would be. It would be way. It would be the softest piece of clothing they had ever felt. Probably. Yeah, honestly, yeah. But I wanted to before you know jumping into specific clothing and what they would have possibly been wearing and armor and all of that. I think we should start with what we mentioned earlier, which is the horned helmet and where that comes from. And actually, yes. that's a creation from Carl Emil uh, Doppler, who was the costume designer for Richard, Richard Wagner's work, uh, Der Ring des Nibelungen, or The Ring of Nibelung, which takes mm. and meshes Norse sagas with German mythology as, and such to create this epic grand narrative that I think we're all kind of familiar with, or at least if you've heard that, like opera, and it's... Wagner! You know, literally, yeah. Not the, be- <laughs> not the best. Not the best. And What is... <sighs> Wagner... Come on. I was come on. I was definitely very disappointed Again? when you find Again? out. Yeah, not great. <laughs> not great. Not great. And this is really what's going to I think establish that look of what these helmets would look like, what they would be wearing, the pelts, you know, whatever. And it's it's mm-hmm. all just it's fiction. It's just costume design because in reality their helmets would have been more like a pretty simple shape. You know, think a medieval mm. cone type helmet flattered down with some face protection like the ones that go, you know like the Greek hoplite helmets that we see in like 300 and stuff that have the eye uh, slits like the things that go Yeah, some yeah, things... you got kind of like some something to protect the nose. Yeah, stuff like that, um, maybe in ch- a chainmail that would go underneath possibly or they just didn't wear helmets because you're on a mm. boat. So why would you want to like sometimes if they're yeah. sometimes helmets are convenient but if you're quick and fast they're not useful you know so it's like we don't even know if all of them would have you know but... i don't e- i don't even know what helmet technology was back then you know like um, i know it took till world war one till we had like you know uh well because you had to worry about bullets and stuff uh but what like I've I've seen like the reconstruction of the Greek helmets, yeah, uh, f- uh, from like the Trojan War and stuff. Oh, real far and back. Okay, they're just basically like wearing conical hats with boar tusks, just sort of stuck to them, not like sticking out, but like just sort of stuck to the side to give it some kind of strength. And you're just like, huh. hey. I, I legitimately don't know how much protection that offers. In interesting, I've never seen that reconstruction. Um, mm. Probably not much. I mean, like, but I think in any kind of situation, like, you want to cover your head with something, and this is like it's worthy. There's a lot of good stuff up there. Yeah, it also because a lot of blunt weapons are being used, and if you get hit over the head with a hammer, you're gonna die. So, I mean, even with a helmet, you're probably still gonna get a concussion, but it might save your life. It depends. But like, right, you know, right, they, okay, well, they're still rocking out. Like the Vikings are rocking out with like iron armor and and different okay. iron. So like they okay, have yeah. pretty hefty things, yeah. but they're not gonna be wearing 
plate mail per se. We're not going to get to plate till much later. You're not going to have mm-hmm. a very heavy protection. So realistically, they would be wearing like either rudimentary kind of like leather armor and uh, maybe some, uh, what do you call that? Like chain mail underneath. It's possible that like um, if you were more wealthy, you would have a, a quilted armor or a lamellar armor, which is a pre-plate uh, type of armor that consisted of metal plates layered in rows underneath that kind of quilt uh. to offer more protection against piercing uh, than chainmail per se. This is actually a pretty common medieval technology that'll go on for like a while. Like, a- actually, this is one thing I-, I heard about. Like, do you know, like studded armor? You ever hear? I don't know how much you know about armor. I just know way too much studded about it. Studded armor. I, I can, I can picture. Something, like you know, like I... um, in, it would be like a big breastplate or something, but instead of plate, it's like dots almost of like rivets. Hmm. Think Jon Snow, what Jon Snow wore. Oh, okay. okay. So like that's actually not entirely accurate of what stud armor. Stud armor doesn't exist. It's like that type of lamb. There, it's, it'd be basically like armor that looks like it's light with quilted kind of thing it looks like that Jon Snow almost tunic, okay. but underneath okay. it's actually layered plates of metal that you would put on like a flak jacket type deal and it would protect you from that type of damage with but it would allow you to ah. it would allow you to move and that gets much better during like the renaissance and late medieval period um but this is like a basic basic but a very expensive version of that so this is okay, okay. this is a kind of fun i don't know fun type fact so they've got they've got protection technology they just don't have horned helmets no horned helmets and they would have had uh you know, they would have been wearing like two, your tunics, trousers of sorts. And like I said, those who had armor would wear it. But, you know, the tunics, we're talking like, a, yeah, think Henley shirt, maybe a shorter mm-hmm. cuff sleeve, like a baseball tee type sleeve, but baggy. Uh, you know, I'm I'm going to just go out on a limb and say, of course, they would have pelt because of just being cold. It's cold up north. You need some sort of coat right. and boots and such. And yeah, I mean, we're, I think the simpler, the more accurate. You know, mm-hmm, uh, but I also mm-hmm. think, you know, as we've even found from like Roman ruins and things with like the the uh, like Goths and other people who made it down there, they had like, what do you call it? the brooches and pins to hold the capes and such. So yeah. this all kind of I'm, I'm imagining some, some kind of ornamentation. Of course. Yeah. D- depending on your status. Any uh, like kind of uh, what we would think of as sweaters like a yeah like a, cab- like a cable knit sweater so here's the thing we don't actually know that much about said clothing because like not a lot of it is kind of like around but you know if we're going back in the time and you start to connect the dots and see what people would are wearing a little later yeah i think you could see a history of sweaters coming up maybe not like the straight up cable that you see in like the lighthouse or something or what we own now but you know, they have... Well, or, like, if you go into, like, I feel like a Norwegian gift shop and they're like, have a traditional Norwegian sweater. I mean, I th- or something. I think it would be similar because, like, I think more traditional... I mean, I'm not an expert, so take what I say with a grain of salt, but I'm pretty sure more traditional Norwegian garb comes a little later because this Mm -hmm. is pre like kingdom but it's all got to come from somewhere so there's got to be origins to this so i think that type of material has to be available so Mm -hmm. i i think just like i was saying like you know a lot of this we can kind of in a way pick and choose like i like i think from what you assume early medieval clothing to look like what we can pull from 
actual reality and not necessarily pop culture is probably going to be the more acceptable choice. Um, mm-hmm. You don't want to be like Assassin's Creed Valhalla and have gold armor or gold plated things, and that, that just doesn't exist. Like that's just not practical. That wouldn't happen. Gold right. or like ornamental objects, maybe jewelry, maybe um, an armor that's a little enameled or something more personal. A hundred percent, I could see it happening because they in in an era where. In an era where you were often killing someone to pick up, to to pull the boots off their feet once they're dead, take their weapons and everything valuable off of them, it just kind of seems like you're making yourself a target. I mean, yeah, it would kind of make yeah, <laughs> it would happen. It just kind of makes you seem like, hey, I'm covered in gold. Don't you want to kill me and take? Yeah, everything? I don't think you would. Yeah, I mean, but they were they were kind of vain in this way of also with like objects and grooming and such but also i mean Mm. in speaking of killing in weapons i mean we can also mention what kind of weapons they would have used as we have in our what do we got what do we got hell we got a lot we got the most common which is your spear and your shield as well as some short axes swords two-handed axes daggers and of course a long bow and arrow now actually Mm. fun fact so the old norse peoples and vikings accidentally invented a rudimentary form of steel for their swords uh, because what they used to do was oh. burn. Yeah, they used to burn uh, the bones of animals and people, which is supposedly ancestors, but it could also be sacrifice. We don't know. Uh, so that their spirits could be transferred to the blades to make them stronger. And because I think they also mm. said something about like you know ravens skulls and other things from what I remember reading. And it, which it did technically make them stronger, but not because of the magic, but in fact because of the carbon and bog iron helped make a basic steel when it burned away and such. And and because of that, the carbon. So we have evidence to support this because of the amount of animal and human bones found around many forges and smithies mm. and archaeological sites in present-day Scandinavia. So you could actually almost say the magic worked. I mean, yeah, it kind of did. Cause... Like that, like if you're looking at this from like a mystical lens, that is just a scientific explanation for an in, an interpretation of a magical practice. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's exactly true. I, I think it's very fascinating, and that explains a lot mm-hmm. of why weapons would have been really strong, blunt, and right, very yeah. specific for warfare because you're not piercing anything. Like even swords are going to be like thicker and stronger and they're more for like slashing mm. and stuff i think the axe is the more common but i do i do recall a spear and a shield what, what, was the was the axe actually common that's i not don't quite a, like I, I think it might be a trope because i'm pretty sure the most common is spear and shield because they did fought with the shield wall like that is I'm a very still just kind of picturing like the dwarf from uh uh, da, 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 uh, Lord of the Rings. Nah, like I'm just kind of picturing Gimli. Kind. I mean, you wouldn't be far off, but the axe is kind of an unknown. Like I don't think they had them, and they're so useful in combat because the thing with an axe that's yeah. better than a sword is an axe can hook a shield. So when you have a shield oh, up and yeah. somebody's like kind of guarding, you can use your axe to pull a shield down on a shield wall because that would be how they fought a lot of times too. Think, right. Yeah. And actually, just stab them. You know, so that would mm-hmm. actually be a practical weapon for kind of pulling something around you. And it's the same thing with even disarming, but it's a close quartered weapon. So it's a little bit trickier in that way. So a spear mm-hmm. is very common. A sword is also useful. Um, I don't know how much that falls into tropes or not, but definitely, yeah, they would have been using shields for sure and had that, that group fighting because it's not very, you know, I mean, this again, it just depends. It depends on who 
we're looking at but like let's take like the danes for example when they get to britain they're using a shield wall tactic to really move mm. around the brit they're mm -hmm. the, the english mm -hmm. or the north well they're their kingdom so let's just say mercia for example like they would be you know so it, it it had an advantage when they first started using yeah. the tactics because it's like the Mercians didn't know exactly how to get around it or the Northumbrians were kind of like, uh, haven't seen anything like this in a really long time because I think the last mm -hmm. time we think of shield mm -hmm. walls are either the Greeks or the Romans and other places yeah, the, as well. Uh, but, but, but it's like a, the, the, the Testudo? Well, the, yeah. The tortoise? The, the phalanx in, in Greece and the Testudo, yeah, the Testudo in, um, in Rome, which is a bit yes. different because you have that roof and stuff. So cool. Anyway, yeah. this is just some of the the more fighting standards of what they would have had technologically. But I think let's get into some grooming real fast because I think if you're like me, you're interested in the haircuts because now that everybody oh, has yeah. an undercut that's long, uh, I think it's interesting to see where that kind of comes from. And, mm -hmm. you know, short answer, we don't exactly know what kind of haircuts they had, but we do know that grooming and hair was really important because there's a lot of combs discovered. Like, a lot. Ooh. And if you're like, okay, you know, when you find a lot of combs, I think one can assume, hey, maybe they really like their hair. And so uh -huh, we can, this uh -huh. kind of alludes to the importance of hair maintenance and grooming for the ancient Norse peoples. As And as to what the hairstyles would have looked like, you know, we don't actually know. It, it, there's evidence to support that um, the... The short on the sides, long on top, kind of like your Bjorn Ironside from Vikings with the braid at one point... Um, it's based on a Norman soldier style or a Norman uh, soldier from when well, the Normans are a different uh, group of Vikings that are going to come up a lot later. Um, it's based on that in the 11th century, but that's a lot later. So, yeah, we don't know. It's possible. Mm. It's just a convenient haircut. So one may assume they figured out how to do the undercut early. But, but, but. there was actually a letter found written in Old English by an anonymous author who talked about the Danish hairstyle fashion, which was described as a reverse mullet. So longer in the front, but shorter in the back. So that's interesting. Huh. Yeah. Okay, so more of a Bieber bowl. Kinda, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking more longer in the front, a little chopped up in the back, so you can like slick that bad boy back or maybe tie it in a bun or something. So I don't know, but if that okay. gives you any depiction, um, go for it. I think there was like in the in the in the show Vikings they did a hairstyle like this where it's like bald in the back, but there's like a crew cut in the front, and it's kind of chaotic, but it's also kind of cool. So it might be referring to something like that. But mm -hmm. I think just like we found out with the helmets, a lot of things are going to come down to just costume design for entertainment because you got to make things look cool. Right, right, and you wonder like we will probably you know, unless we have a time machine, we're not going to actually see what these people were like. And you could ask what, yeah, what exactly we gain from depicting them in, in that and as accurately as possible in that respect, when we have a shorthand to see the braids and at the very least we think Vikings. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know how much yeah. we have to necessarily go back and paint a picture, but I do think it's, I guess it's interesting, but yeah, I think it's keeping. Yeah, yeah, it it is it is very interesting. I also do love these insanely random uh, things that crop up in history. Yeah. Like, um, it what the what is it? It's like the oldest written thing that we have is somebody complaining about the quality of copper ore. <laughs> yeah, something like that. It's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah, some some random guy got roasted in Mesopotamia <laughs> thousands of years ago. 
and we know his name because somebody just wrote so it they down. Got, they got mad. They were like, "Here's my, here's my, th- uh, my complaints." So great, love. Mm-hmm, it's like with mm-hmm. the um, I forget his name, but there was like a kid's drawing from somewhere in like early, early Russian history that was doodling yeah. in class, and it like showed them just like completely daydreaming or whatever. And I was like, I love that people were doing that back then. That makes me feel oh yeah better. Well, yeah, there, there's, like, all of the, like, graffiti, oh, um, yeah. you know, from Rome that was preserved. And, you know, that's not necessarily what we would think of as, like, the stuff that gets preserved. But sure. when it does, it, interesting. it gives you such a slice of life yeah, of, like, yeah. school children making fun of each other exactly. and, you know, all, all kinds of things. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah, you know, speaking of that, and, and now that we kind of have an idea of what they may or may not have looked like... I think it's time to focus on the actual term of Viking. And so the term actually, uh, or the term Viking comes into play because in the summers it was custom to go a Viking. And because Viking actually is a stand-in for raids. So they would, you know, you go a Viking to raid a coastline and villages or in some cases Mm -hmm. to go and venture out and trade with other kingdoms. Hence the term Viking ah. comes about. And that's why I kept kind of switching back and forth and was being a little cryptid about why. Because technically, you know, Viking's a verb. So it's weird to say you're mm-hmm. a Viking. You would say you're a Vikinger, you know, because you're a raider, mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. and so on. Yes. Um, not to, you know, beat it in. Because as you said, it's just semantics sometimes. However, mm-hmm. of course, because of our modern transactions and such, it becomes Vikings instead. So whatever you choose. But focusing in on the okay. early 700 CE or the 700s, early Norse peoples would have been set up in different clans and villages under Jarls and such before kings came about, like I was saying, Jarls, Carls, and Thralls. Uh, but these... <laughs> oh my god. Sorry. It's so Continue. fun. No, it's so fun. Uh, these areas, which are presently Sweden, Norway, and Denmark, would have been the primary areas that the Vikings would hail from, and but would also influence where their travels would take them for trades and, and, and trading and raiding. Now, there are also differences between these Vikingers who hail from these Scandinavian countries. So Norwegian Vikingers were more notable for smaller raids and were based in clans until Harold Fairhair unites them under the Kingdom of Norway in 885. Yes, that's literally his name, and it's kind of cool. So I think he okay. might have had fair hair, if you think so. Um oh. Kind of an Eric, or maybe it, maybe it, maybe it was more of like a backhanded compliment, like uh, Gaius Julius Caesar. It's possible, where yeah, <laughs> it was like, <laughs> you know, he's balding, but they're like, oh yeah, there's Gaius over yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I have no idea. I mean, not everybody liked him, so it's possible. But um, oh, okay. the Danes were the Vikingers that are more notable for going to England and actually looking to settle and take over the land. So these are your, the Danish Vikingers are they're more. In, focused on military might and conquering England and will do so later on through the coming centuries and eventually have control of England under King Canute in the 11th century for a little bit and establish King Canute. Yeah. King Canute. He's an interesting guy. Um, We'll get we'll get to it. It's it, he, King okay, Canute okay, is okay. taking actually just to kind of cover a little tiny bit. King Canute is taking hold of the region when we were talking about um, Vinland and, and the Leif Erikson or Leif Erikson. Ah. you know all of that was happening. King Canute's kind of starting to do his his thing in a little bit later. So like ten, okay, ten eighteen, okay. I want to say give or take. So mm-hmm. this is yeah, it's a whole different part of it's it's kind of past the Vikings more into actual Danish military. Um, but and and now we have Sweden left over, who doesn't get as much rep in the Viking Age. You don't really hear about them that much. Uh, but they were actually, you know, they're relatively active 
during it, but more beforehand. They were actually, actually, fun fact, the Goths, uh, the tribe I kept mentioning, they mm-hmm. apparently originally hail from Sweden, which I think is fascinating. Just part of that travel south during the fall of the Roman Empire. And when, well, yeah, you know, not a lot of people know this, but when uh, the Goths intermarried with the Vikings, they made mm-hmm. uh, Gothic uh, Viking death metal. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were gonna make a Visigoths joke, and I was like, "Wow, this is gonna be really like cryptid in terms of like." Points. No, instead I instead I made the the stupidest. No, <laughs> I no, I went for the stupider joke. No, no, you're good. It's like yeah, the the go- yeah the, the goths. goths, and then and so then you cool. get uh, metalocalypse. Ex- well, I mean, I think this is called food library. <laughs> Oh, my God. But, I mean, you could kind of look at the Swedish at this time as the, like, vibe kings, if you will. They were pretty much chilling. Um, getting, okay. They were really working on themselves, to be honest. And it's theorized... Oh, it, shouldn't we all? It's, yeah, yeah. It's theorized that they settled Eastern Europe during this time, which we'll get into a little bit later in, in, our, in our next kind of parts. But it's, mo- you know, they didn't... It's mostly because they didn't really feel the need to expand or go out and invade, so they kind of were, yeah, just working on themselves and doing their thing. I mean, they live in Sweden. It's it's nice. It's, it's nice. they can farm. They can do things. It's not that. It's kind of like, um, well, yeah. I mean, they, you know, going back to the raiding, it's like one of the primary reasons for these raids was to really gather silver and other goods to bring them back to the homelands, and right. to either trade or get rich off of, and which for a land mm-hmm, that's hard mm-hmm. to grow anything on, specifically Norway, for this instance. It makes a lot of sense, but you know, like Denmark, for instance, right. it doesn't have as much of this problem with food because it's the warmest out of all of them and the most fertile. But you know, it's all flatlands, so grain and and whatnot. But silver's nice when you're small, when you have a small clan and such. So I guess that explains a lot. As expansion became a good means of trade as well as income from raids, it became more and more popular for traders and raiders to head either east or west to expand or look for goods to take or trade, and. But, however, none of this would have been possible without one of the greatest sea vessels during this time, which was the infamous Viking longship that we all know. Ooh. Yeah. Now, if we come... You know, I, uh, when I used to be on the rowing team in high school, there right. were people that would um, do uh, Viking ship or Viking Viking boat races, I should say. Oh. I think they call it, they called themselves dragon boats. Oh. Yeah, they would do dragon boat racing up and down the river uh in in the hillsborough river with us so we would be rowing and then you know next to us would be a boat that was much higher in the water <laughs> with someone pounding on a drum and a bunch of people uh rowing actually a lot of people would ask since we were in rowing shells uh who beat the drum and you're like that's that's not us this is the dragon boat right that's interesting i would have assumed that if you were rowing there's always a drum like somebody's in your actual small skiff thing and they're just beating yeah no there's only a coxswain who is ah. the the smallest person they can possibly find <laughs> of course yeah you don't want to have that they're much. always just inexplicably tiny high schoolers oh my get to be coxswain. Well, I think this part is going to be very much up your alley, and I think I would 
catered okay, it that way because okay. I'm not that much of a boatman. I'm a more of a boat enthusiast on land. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, I think we, we you know we can head into uh, besides looking at all of this armor and, and clothing and hairstyles and such, we can actually move into the boat hall here and actually see what these would have oh, looked yeah. like because you know size matters in the case of these boats because some of them are right. reasonably sized. You could probably fit it in your garage, and some of them are actually massive. <laughs> and mm-hmm, you were like, oh mm-hmm. my god, how do you build this? Um, so and you know in talking about the Vikings, one of the most the main reasons any of their successful their raids were successful or their conquests could even happen was due to the engineering feats of the old Norse peoples, specifically with the invention of the longship from them, and that's that's kind of that specific boat we always make note of. Right. And you know the longship is the dragon-headed boat with one large sail and oars and shields on the sides, and it's the yeah. image that we all are all kind of familiar with. You know, you saw the SpongeBob episode with it. You had the Lego collection, like it's, I did. It's it's the the the, the Hagar the horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But there's actually different versions of this ship depending on what's necessary. So, like for instance, a nar was a type of vessel that was designed specifically for cargo and merchantile goods. So we can kind of assume that perhaps these would have been used during expansion or even settlement in North America to transport all those goods, as we discussed kind of on an earlier tour, specifically the Vinland one. Huh, gnarly. Right, yeah. But, uh, oh man, I just got that too. <laughs> that that trip would have been gnarly, literally. Uh-huh, but, <laughs> just vi- vi- the Vibe Kings, gnarly, bruh. Yeah, they might have had surfer accents, we don't know. But the longships designed for war, however, came in many different shapes and sizes depending on their usage. And the first up, if we walk this way, uh, we have the Snekia, or Sneke, which was typically the smallest ship used for war. With only 20 rows for men, it was about 17 meters in length, and a crew of about 40 oarsmen and one coxman. Now, is a coxswain or coxman? Um, how is it spelled? I mean, I think it's like C-O-X... I think I had okay. coxman yes. was the way I was familiar so, with. So a coxswain, it it looks like it is spelled coxswain. Oh. Um, I don't know if this word is that word, but coxswain is, is how it is pronounced, but that is if it is spelled coxswain. Okay, no, I'm not entirely sure. It's the person with the that's steering the boat. Right. So yeah, yeah that's that, what that I mean, is. That, okay. that is that is that is essentially the person. The coxswain's job in rowing um is to in part steer but also set the pace. Okay, of, that's interesting. Uh, all the other rowers. Okay. In crew, you're rowing backwards. Uh so right. you can't you only can see the person in front of you who is actually closer to the back or the stern of the ship. Okay. That, so yeah. the, 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 the coxswain's job really is to communicate to, you know, because there's also a, uh, a, uh, like a headset that, you know, oh, they okay. wear in modern times so that they can amplify themselves. But really the coxswain sets the pace for the rower closest to them and then the person behind them has to keep in time with the person in front of them. Whoa. And then that's how you get the flow of oars all working together. That's is hectic. You are watching the person in front of you uh, with the expectation that they are uh, on time. Interesting, interesting. Now, I, I also yeah. I, I wanted to get your kind of opinion on that because, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of similar to this, you know, that's how these boats would have been May, manned you know like 
Everybody mm. on that ship is a skilled oarsman. They they know what they're doing. They they're a, a a trained sailor. Like everybody has to kind of be in time mm-hmm. because you're mostly rowing until you get up to open water, and then you have that. Um, you have right, the sail. Yeah. I look at it as it's it's a very similar setup to like a Greek or Roman trireme kind of deal. We're having okay, that like yeah. you know everybody has an oar and you're real you can go so fast but um, and that's kind of all around for all of these boats essentially depending I think the nar maybe not so much with oars but you know it, right. it's kind of easier to get around but if you are sailing on a journey to go a Viking uh-huh. you're a raider are you yes. also rowing or is mm. or are the are these like the again you know because of pop culture and media are these like the or galley slaves uh or are the, oh, that we would like later see on like galleons and stuff or um, like are, are, are if if you are fighting are you also sailing and rowing usually yes it for specifically okay. for like vikings going to raid that would be more the case because you need to be in and out you need to be you know getting through the rivers navigating understand what you're doing and so on i think i'm not entirely sure but in bigger ships and specifically ones that are transporting armies or transporting goods you're and you have to get across the atlantic and it's really hard journey you're probably yeah you might have slaves doing that for you um, and you might have people that you're are... just running back with the treasure you're or, carrying, like Jacques, start the engines. I mean, Jacques, kind of start the engines. Well, kind of, yeah. You know, you're just well. Actually, like what's interesting about the Snake is, and this is why they're more than likely the um, the ship that would have been chosen. It's actually a Norwegian designed, and it's it's it was made to be able to traverse the deep fjords of the region and also the Atlantic. So for raiding and trading, but what's interesting is they don't need ports to land or to beach. So they could actually just get Mm. beached, right? You know, get pulled onto the beach and then pushed back out to sea or rivers and could also be carried by the crew because they were light enough over certain terrain if necessary. And that has happened a few times where they actually pick up ships to move them over terrain. I mean, that's, that's, that's Scandinavian design for you. Literally. all about minimalism. It's true. I mean, it comes from somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, so that what's that's what uh you know, I could very much see them pulling up on the on the rivers of, of an you know, an English river and then they just, you know, get out there, take a monastery, run back to the ship and uh sail away very fast. Because that would wow. be the convenience and that's why they were so this is such an important kind of vessel. And this is like this boat specifically, but also, you know, the bottoms of these ships allowed them to navigate these rivers so well. But you know, the second largest ship was called a Skeed, which had uh, 30 rows for oarsmen and a, a crew of around 70 to 80 men. This is like your middle boat. It's probably more uh, common to like a warship. I don't know how used. Mm. Like, for instance, the Snekias were more popular with like, even though like Norwegian design, you see them later on with like King Canute's army and even the Danish having smaller and faster ships in this way because you can just move a lot of them farther. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think when you're getting some like the the um, invasion of England, you're probably going to have these bigger ones. And, uh, you know, so keep in mind, it's it's if we look at the kind of ships we're talking about in pop culture, you either have like a Snekia, maybe a Skeed. But the one that's also known and this is the biggest ship is apparently used during the Viking Age is called the Drakkar, literally translating mm. to dragon. 
So it's Ooh. hardcore. It's literally like heavy. So we metal. got the we got the gnarly one. Yeah. The 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 sneaky one. Yeah. The sneaky sneaky one. The the literal just like skiff kind of thing, even though it's massive. Yes. And then the dragon. Hardcore. I love it. Hardcore. I love it. So this consisted of upwards of 30 rows, so it could be even bigger. We don't entirely know. And it was named mm-hmm. the dragon because of the adornment on the prow of the ship. And these mm. are described as being unusual and adorned and adorned and mostly used by those who would have gone plundering. So this is possible to be the Viking ship. This is kind of what the Viking ships are written to be like. Mm-hmm. And one of the earliest mm-hmm. mentions of this type of ship was the one that Harold Fairhair, the king of Norway, as I mentioned, uh, it used in the 10th century. Uh, and the dragon adornment is something that's been mentioned in the sagas and is a typical ornament for these types of ships, and specifically that for the characters within these tales, so much that they make their way into even the culture and the iconography at the time. But no, uh, from my knowledge, no true dragon ship has actually been found yet through archaeological findings. If there has, tweet at us. So that leaves up to a lot to interpretation. It's possible they were adorning mm-hmm. the tops of their ships to be scarier. Honestly, mm-hmm. that's kind of mm-hmm. hardcore. But, like, we don't know, to be honest. And, and if anything, it would have been more in the much more kind of, like, um, not as representational Norse art that you see, where it's not okay. necessarily literally depicting beauty. You're kind of more using um, adornment and, and decoration in that sense. Um, but technically... Like, kind of the, the, the whole, like, northern European, like, animal interlace type Kind of, yeah. I would say it'd be more like that. Um, But technologically speaking, these boats reached a high point in the 7th century when they invented the kneel, uh, which is a structural beam that runs from the bow to the stern and is below the main body of the ship. And this this allowed for increased speed, less unwanted lateral movement, and ultimately more control. And Mm. that's really going to be a game changer because these, you know, you... You're, if you're going raiding, the last thing you want is to be outrun and somebody to catch up. So you want to get in, get out, and be as fast as possible. And so this, right. this, be, you know, this is what made it entirely possible for these ships to make treacherous journeys southwest into the Atlantic and able to reach England, Europe, and even the Mediterranean, as well as North America, as we kind of mentioned before, or at least Greenland. And in regards to the material used for the ships, it's estimated that 20 great oaks could be used to create just one ship, which calls back again to the need for lumber for those living in Greenland mm-hmm. later on. And the wood was shaped in a way to allow them to overlap each other like a fan when forming the body of the boat to which the frame of it was oh. placed in. So which interest, what was interesting to me is like I look at like building a boat like you would build the skeleton and you build around it. This was the opposite. Like they would make the fan shape, the body, and then put the frame inside. Mm-hmm. And then... Oh. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because it's like it's not how I would think to go about it. But then they would coat the whole thing in watertight mixture, uh, consisting of tar, animal hair, wool, potentially moss, and then secure it with iron rivet rivets. So these things mm-hmm. are like they got it down to a science. It's such a craft. The, yeah, they're, they're they're sailing in a barrel. Yeah, actually, yeah. And guess what? <laughs> it worked. It worked so well that they were like, "This is the top sailing ship." for a very long time and it's gonna i think affect wow. what gets modeled are they, later are they sailing inside of land usually yeah like, usually yeah. yeah but then that gets changed when they go to england because england was open water mm-hmm. to get you have to cross the atlantic right. so before yeah. you're sailing to like that's why they say like you would have been raiding the east you would have been raiding maybe the french coast you know you, things that are like in your eye space or or just running raids on your own region like you know, if you're a Viking a clan in Norway at the north, you might go south and raid those people because they're not connected to you. There's no uniformity yet 
in the 700s, yeah. there's no sense of kingdoms. That doesn't exist yet. Maybe yeah, in Sweden. Yeah. Maybe in Sweden, but not necessarily Norway or Denmark. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or I guess I should say country kingdom, like like huge unified kingdoms. There, well, there might yeah, have been smaller the, the, ones. The, I, the, I, the very idea of a country is something that would not come for centuries it's a little later. later yeah it's a lot later yeah i we've 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 talked a lot about how regions that we now consider historically countries would not have seen themselves as a homogenous uh thing in the past exactly exactly but so these raids through the coming centuries would take the vikingers to close places like the rus and Frankir, all the way to spain sicily and even constantinople and therefore, to end our prologue to this tour, that was all set up. <laughs> That's all set up. And take us right into the Viking Age. We have to start where the first recorded planned Viking raid in modern-day Western Europe began at the Lindisfarne Monastery in England, or what is now England. So, Ooh. yeah. Well, yeah, that's a uh, an hour and 15 minutes or so into me just prologuing. <laughs> but I think it's all important in terms to give some context to what's yeah, about to happen. Because this is like when Vikings enter the chat. Like before that, they're kind of rumored. There's 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 an idea of Northmen going in and coming out of the, the kind of distant English coastlines and other places, you know, but they kind of can't be bothered by it. So it's like the pagans to the north. We know they're there, but we don't really yeah. care. And that gets kind of changed when they show up at the Lindisfarne Monastery. And this kind of is, you know, really starting up the Viking Age. And so in 793, just off the coast of Northumbria, which would later be northern England in contemporary times, the Lindisfarne Monastery is attacked by Vikingers, the raiders from the north who have only been rumors at this point. And the monastery is located on an island dubbed Holy Island, and it served as an important center for Christendom within the kingdom of Northumbria. It might also have been called Lindisfarne, I'm not entirely sure. But Holy Island is mentioned because this is a very, very important holy site for Christendom at this point. Okay. Keep that in the back of your head. Gotcha, gotcha. It's important to establish that at this point in the 8th century, England is not a unified kingdom, but in fact made up of the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms of Wessex, Essex, Sussex, Mercia, East Anglia, Kent, and Northumbria. Where's Where's Yakko when we need him to do the old kingdoms? <laughs> oh, man. What would medieval anime <laughs> yeah, yeah. be like? Oh my god. But So Wessex is to the lower west, Essex to the lower east, Sussex south, Mercia in the middle, East Anglia to the east, Kent to the lower east point on the isle, or the lowest, por- uh, the further lower east point on the isle, and Northumbria to the north. Uh, you can see our map. I have never made the connection, the Wessex, Essex, and Sussex thing. Really? I never, <laughs> for some reason, hearing you say that was a sudden revelation <laughs> I just had. Yeah, it, that's, that happened to me as well. I, I feel you. Well, because, yeah, you know, oh Wessex, you're going to get, like, the city of Winchester and, like, and I forget what's in Sussex and, you know, Kent is... Wouldn't Kent. it have been fun if they, like, all the towns in the West have to start with W? Kind of be fun. I think that'd be kind of great. I, but you see that <laughs> pattern happen. Like, it does show up. Yeah. It's kind of wild. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so these kingdoms aren't going to really be unified until much later, uh, later and that's yeah. partially from, you know, the help of King Alfred. And, again, if you watch mm-hmm. The Last Kingdom, that's kind of what that really focuses in on. And it's, it's fascinating, hence the title. Yeah, but even, like, I mean, hearing, because it has Chester in the name, you know it was originally a Roman fort. Well, yeah, because I think even it's like Wintercaster or something like that. It comes from yes, let it just Ca- yeah. Caster, Chester. Yeah, 
uh, and anything with that sound and it typically uh, denotes that it was uh, originally uh, right lat- Latin. Yeah. And what's interesting, though, is like I think that and I've been kind of, you know, mocking said video game that I really played a lot of. But, uh, you know, <laughs> Valhalla, Assassin's Creed Valhalla actually did do something interesting that I kind of liked, was which was put Roman ruins in the game. Maybe too many. But that's an interesting thing to keep in mind, because like it's not that far off. It's only a couple hundred years since the romans they, they would left. have been encountering that like yeah. le- but like london at this point is still roman ruins like that's what's left right. and people are living there so the city mm-hmm. ex- is still mm-hmm. functioning just not nearly the height they're basically living in ro- ruins like the later italians are going to live in the roman ruins and so on which is fascinating right. but you know in in mentioning the romans i also think as we kind of brought up before it's important to mention like how the anglo-saxons are the people who kind of came and colonized after and set up shop and basically, you know, decided that these are the kingdoms that they now own and so on and chase the Celts and the Picts and ever Well, the Picts were originally in the North because of Hadrian's wall and such, but you know, the, the Welsh now, you know, are getting, again, get pushed into that area from the Anglo-Saxons. You know, they didn't used to necessarily be just there and the Britons get pushed all the way West and, and so on. And this keeps kind of happening. They exist still at this point, at this time in in the history in the 700s and they're still pretty you know popular there but it's definitely not as strong i know the welsh hold their own for pretty much ever so that's always fun mm-hmm. and also will well, everyone everyone was really scared of that dragon on their flag dude they were scary man they they could take on <laughs> an, a, a, a an english kingdom or a viking right and like destroy them same with like the Irish at points or the picks. No one messed with the picks, even though they did get the Vikings did go there a lot and do some pretty brutal things. So we know, uh, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you know, they still kind of held their own. They never got conquered necessarily that much. Or I think they might have yeah. later. I'm, I'm not entirely familiar with this part, but but you know, this is so kind of giving us some minor yeah. perspective into England or what we now know as England. Like that's kind of what's going on. And I, like I said, I don't want to distract us and go well not distract us it's so entangled but like i don't want to go too much Mm -hmm. into that into the politics into the armies into the kind of like conquering Mm -hmm. because it's just a different thing it becomes you get less away from the idea of the viking and you get more into the idea of like the soldier although Mm -hmm. it's a weird thing because they're kind of so connected with like the danish army ah but back back to lindisfarne okay kind of this recount of the raid just to give us like i keep feeling like i'm like teasing everybody about what this raid was like but i'm gonna let the Mm -hmm. actual account speak for itself and this was kind of what was recorded and spread throughout the rest of the english kingdoms and it read something like this Here were dreadful forewarnings come over the land of Northumbria, and woefully terrified the people. These were amazing sheets of lightning and whirlwinds, and fiery dragons were seen flying in the sky. A great famine soon followed these signs, and shortly after in the same year, on the sixth day before the Ides of January, the woeful inroads of heathen men destroyed God's church in Lindisfarne. Island by fierce robbery and slaughter. It's pretty heavy. Whoa. Yeah, it's pretty intense. So that's spread throughout <laughs> the kingdoms. So, oh my god, they were preceded by a dragon and a famine. Something, yeah, yeah, which also begs the question, what happened? Why'd you run out of food? I don't know, Joe. It sounds like there was a dragon. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it's uh, a metaphor, Zan. No, but uh, so while the while the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle states that it happened in January, it's now widely accepted that this was actually on June 8th that the raid took place. Uh, and this was due to many testimonies regarding the event and also that spring was the predominant raiding season and time for the Vikingers to go out, not in winter. So it's more than likely a scribal error for this reason because, you know, they're not going to go sail okay. when they're burrowed in snow. It wouldn't make any sense. Okay, okay. So the account itself is rather short, stating that only the church was destroyed, goods taken, and blood was shed. And there are many later accounts that describe the events and how it literally devastated and shook Christendom at the time. But one such account from the Northumbrian scholar Aliquin paints a vivid depiction of the horrors. Now, he learned from of the raid while living in Frankier and tutoring Charlemagne's children. Let's, you know, so that's interesting to give you oh, a perspective. Okay. So Charlemagne's active at this point and people, you know, and he'll, you know, his whole thing with the Normans and stuff, like his children that is and his bloodline comes in a little later. So, you know, the Frankish kingdom's doing its thing at this point. So he's over there mm-hmm. hanging out with Charlemagne's kids, tutoring them, you know, teaching them all kinds of stuff. And so from letters from both the Bishop of Lindisfarne and King of Northumbria, which make him see this as a calamity, he describes mm-hmm. the scene as spattered with the blood of the priests of God, despoiled of all its ornaments. He's mad. He got really pissed, mm-hmm. obviously. Mm-hmm. So really, this, yeah. this is seen as a full-blown attack on Christianity because at this time, like I was saying, Lindisfarne is treated as the heart of Christendom, especially in Northumbria. This was apparently Mm -hmm. a big holy site. You know, it had the artifacts of St. Cuthbert that were essentially taken. They, you know, they've been acquiring these since the 600s, storing them there. And people would actually like, you know, pilgrimage here. This was a big place for monks to pray. And it just held so many sacred artifacts and they were just taken. And what's interesting too is you know was that was that de- was that deliberate at all on the part of the Vikings? Like, did no. they see this as the thing to spite Christianity? I don't even think they know what it is yet necessarily. Or they might they might have. So I don't they, know. I mean, I think I so. Think, so it's just it's just total. It could possibly be like total indifference. I want to say I want to lean into that because I think that just makes a lot yeah. of sense. But I because I think you know you see like the show Vikings and they'll be like, oh look at this, they pray to silver. We'll just yoink that from them because our gods are real. You know. Yeah. You know you you see. That, mm-hmm. that and I'm sure that conflict occurred a lot. That there is, re, re, yeah. you know, accounts of this, but I don't think they knew that this was maybe like I think they might have caught wind, possibly of hey, there's places in in this in this place to the west that have these unguarded you know sanctuaries where there's just silver and gold everywhere and you can just take it because <laughs> literally i mean there's no soldiers yet they, they do eventually put guards there but like there's no soldiers at the monasteries it's a holy site there's no you can't have a weapon in a church so. You you basically have this like right. massive sacrilege from a different group of people coming in because they're just yeah, taking that, that stuff. Yeah, that rule that rule kind of works best if everybody's Christian, I guess. Yeah, they didn't really follow that, and that's going to play into the later, um, you know, fights and wars and raids and such when they know this. So they know if they go uh-huh. to a church on like a Sunday, for instance, people or the Sabbath, you know, people are praying, they can lock them in, they can do what they need to do, you know, like. There's there's an there's an intelligence here of of knowing your enemy and using it to your advantage, and I think it they kind of run circles around the Anglo Saxons with this for a while. Eventually, they catch on, and then it doesn't end too well. But like, you know, this is kind of important here to kind of set our stage for the um, the Viking Wars in England. Like, you now have a war on the pagans and a war on Christianity. This is what really sparks a rage, and it really affects everything. You know, there's Aliquin kind of needs to, 
he needed an answer or an explanation, mm-hmm. and he did kind of blame mm-hmm. it on the sinfulness of the people, although there's really no specifics given. I think he was just kind of upset. Uh, and there's also, like, rumor, you know, there was, like, apparently the king, earlier king was assassinated. There was some other political stuff. I don't know too much about it, but there's some, you know, sus, I guess. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you think about it, it's like, <laughs> this is the holy place. Your god, The god is supposed to protect this. The saint cupper is supposed to protect this. No one can breach it, and they just leveled it. And it's more than likely it was just a Norwegian yeah. band of raiders who found it, mm-hmm. went in and went mm-hmm. out. They hit and run. And, you know, this is like, yeah. I, we'll get into it uh, more in our part two of the tour but like this is kind of the tactic of you raid to get resources and to also intimidate your enemy and then you trade those goods off and you just keep doing this for a while and this was just the lifestyle and what was becoming more and more common and so you Mm -hmm. know the vikingers are going to go on to raid many more monasteries all over england in the coming years following lindisfarne as well as even france and other different coastlines However, by the mid-9th century, we'll start to see the large Danish armies of Vikings and soldiers alike start to form and begin the full conquest of England. This specifically starts with the invasion of East Anglia in 865, which would be dubbed the Great Heathen Army. Unlike raids, these are going to be the first steps towards full conquest of England, and many victories and losses are going to be attached with that. These armies, largely starting with Denmark and later Norway, would begin to shape how the course of both Old Norse and English history would play out and how even our own language would come to form. But nevertheless, we're going to have to pick back up on our tour of the Vikings and their story, not with war and politics involving armies, but with their further ventures into the Mediterranean and Eastern European kingdoms. And I think that is a good place for us to sort of... um, start our dis you know our ending here and wrapping up that first prologue slash intro into the raids and other explorations that the vikings would approach to wow wow well fantastic fantastic thank you, thank research you. i'm so excited to hear what happens next so much we're uh, so much to yes. cut through. <laughs> yeah no good job on all of this Thanks, Joe. Thank uh you. thank you everybody yeah mm-hmm yes so exciting so interesting too it really is it really is setting so many things into motion and it seems so long ago but like yeah there's still so many reverberations of this in contemporary society yeah absolutely it it is a so interesting northern northern places that try to exert control simply because they're their lack of their own resources at home. Yeah. You know, like even even something as simple as that like affects uh mm-hmm. affects our 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 day-to-day global politics, you know. Literally, yeah. Yeah, it's so mm-hmm. interesting how much all of this is tied in and and in fact, I think that's what's another so fascinating thing of this time. Like this isn't you know, I think my Although I have my passions and my interests in the Vikings and in Old Norse and all of these these kind of societies, I think at the root of a lot of this and what I'm fascinated is, is just medieval communication. Because mm-hmm. in a time where we mm-hmm. really think people are like simple and, you know, in mud and muck and whatever, it's really not yeah. true. There's so much advancement being had. There's so much going on. And yeah, there's a lot of like oppression and other things and, and death, literally. But like, you got, you got, we got a couple black plagues coming. Couple plagues, couple, um, you know, know wars and countries forming and empires and and just other things but it's also just like it connects you know the viking age connects a lot of dots to for instance like the battle of hastings and and even the norman conquest Mm -hmm, and why mm -hmm. we have french words in the english language and it's so 
it's so there and it's so interesting and even like it it ends so weird you know like the history of denmark's involvement in england is just going to be so long and drawn out and weird to a certain degree of how much they enter and exit and enter and exit <laughs> you know so it's all just so connected but also i think it's pretty relevant for like right now and even where you see these kind mm-hmm. of more spin to northern supremacy and using southern places for resources and now you have an kind of an opposite migration which is fascinating yeah. And it, I think we can also connect that from the the little ice age, like we discussed earlier in in previous episodes, and into kind of now, and where you have you know climate literally warming up. So I think like everything, it's all connected. History, it's always a web of ever changing events and things we find out. And I think it is important as we find out these more about this time period and more about actually what could have happened maybe not the personal details so we can identify with those people but more so about the actual understanding of what may have happened during that time just to give us a better understanding of our own contemporary times Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah well <laughs> yeah and uh and you know if nothing else we we got to talk a little bit about uh about coxswains and rowing and no. the Animaniacs. And I think that's really what matters <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah, I, I guess, you know, it's always that realization. I was like, huh, I was, I was on crew. Yeah. And, and swim team. Look at you. Was I a jock? Oh, God. <laughs> I remember you had that realization to me. And I was like, I mean, I, I, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I was on a lot of sports teams. I, but also sports that nobody wants to watch. I think that's the uh, crucial thing. I went to a swim meet once. It was all right. Absolutely nobody ever like was impressed that I was on rowing. You know, look, I probably would have teased you too, but I, every rower I knew was jacked straight up mm. and was definitely... Must be nice. Hey, man, I, you, I don't know. <laughs> but like, I think... I don't know. Rowing seems kind of cool. It does kind of remind me of that scene from the social, what is it? The social network. Weren't those two dudes yeah. on the rowing team? That's it. That's all I remember from that movie. Oh, the, uh, the twins. Yeah. The, um, I forget. <laughs> I forget what their name is. Um, but yeah, uh, this has been fascinating. I'm so excited to hear more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, again, fantastic research. If you would like to get in contact with the museum after hours, we are at Uncanny Museum on Twitter, at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. Uh, You can find me at Xanasaurus on Instagram. Uh, I have a show coming up July 10th at the Limner Gallery in Hudson, New York for the show Arte Natura. I will be there for the opening uh, what do you you got going on, Joe? Where can people find you? You can find me at, at Joe Semino Art on Instagram. I don't know how much I will be updating things, but hopefully soon um, on recent you know events and such that I have going on. Uh, I've got work in an upcoming, well, way off upcoming exhibition in the CICA Museum in South Korea. Hopefully some new things showing up for some, uh, you know, recent works of mine and such you can st- 
skill because I still have it up. Uh, check out my American Landscapes video <laughs> on my website if you need some context to our one tour about uh, Westerns and their landscape, as well as the Midnight Drive on Radio org. Of course, as things progress, as work becomes made, I will always share it here at the Uncanny County Museum and plug what's going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, this has been quite a uh, trip to the mm-hmm, north. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've learned so much, and we've only got more things to learn ahead. Yep. From the Uncanny County Museum, I have been Zan Peters. And I've been Joe Semino. And bye-bye. Bye. Bye.